All right, if you're going to take your Bibles, please, tonight and turn back to, back, back to Matthew 16, 13 through 20. We're going to finish up. Actually, we're going to continue the thought of what we had this morning about God's church and about who Jesus Christ is. Now, in just a way of review, remember, we learned this morning, I think we learned strongly, that, that Jesus had a point in asking the guys, what's the word on the street? And, and he knew. I, I didn't really say that this morning. It wasn't like um, he was, didn't know because he's God in the flesh and he's Jesus and he knows what the spiritual climate is. He wanted to make sure they understood what the spiritual climate is. And the reason why is you cannot minister effectively. You can't be kingdom God's kingdom in where you are unless you understand where the people are. So we need to understand the spiritual. And, and oh, it's hard to be honest and say, this is the spiritual climate in America. I know what I said this morning about it's hard for us to say more that America is a Christian nation. And what a lot of people say, oh, you can't say that, folks. Sometimes the truth is hard. But America is so far from what it used to be in its walk with God. So it's hard sometimes to say, what's the spiritual condition of America? What's the spiritual condition of Harrisburg? What's the spiritual condition of our community? Honestly, really, what's the spiritual condition of my neighborhood? If we're going to minister to the people, we've got to understand that. And then I kind of threw out the a football this morning and said, you know, why did some people say that Jesus was like Elijah? And, and why did some say that, that he was like uh, Jeremiah? Why did some people say John the Baptist? And was it possible that because Jesus was in human form and, of course, he traveled around, not everyone saw every aspect of Jesus Christ? So if you happen to be a time when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount or something, you might come away saying he's a, he's a different kind of teacher. If you saw what he said to the, the woman taking adultery, I don't condemn you, but listen, turn around. Go and sin no more. You might say he was like John the Baptist, preaching repentance. Or perhaps if you were there when he raised the dead or saw some great miracles, you might, you might say, well, he was like Elijah because Elijah was a great miracle-working prophet. Or, or perhaps like Jeremiah, and perhaps you were there the day Lazarus was buried and you watched him in the grave for three days and Jesus shows up on day four, what seemed to be four days late, and you saw the tears and you saw you know, the, the brokenness of Jesus. And you say, he's such a great teacher of compassion. That may have been why that happened. But then Jesus moved on. And he looked to the guys and said, guys, that you is plural in the Greek. What, what, what all 11, what all 12 of you really say about me? What do you think about me? And that was crucial personally because they had to get Jesus right. But the whole idea of God's kingdom work was resting on these 11, really 11 guys because of Judas, 11 guys getting it right. And Peter spoke up and said, you're the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And that was just so big. Let me throw this out to you. Let me toss another football out there. Have you ever heard about this? What about this? Is it possible that another reason why Peter got it right was because he wasn't just there when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. Or he wasn't just there when Lazarus was raised. Or he wasn't just there uh, when, when this went on. He was with Jesus virtually 24-7. And because he was with Jesus 24-7, he saw the whole picture of Jesus. And that put him in position for God the Father to say, this is my son. Because Jesus goes on and says, hey, you didn't figure this out by yourself. 
God the Father has revealed it to you. But Peter positioned himself to hear from God by hanging around Jesus. May I propose today that if we want the full picture of who Jesus Christ is, not just the miracle working Jesus, not just the fresh teaching Jesus, uh, not, not just the compassionate Jesus, if we want the whole gig, then we've got to hang around Jesus. And we hang around Jesus by studying His Word. Amen? Guys, this is so huge for us. Listen, there's a world out there that is lost and dying and going to hell, and they need to see Jesus, and we're the reflection mirror. And the Jesus we reflect is the Jesus they're going to see. uh, Donnie Billman sings a song, You're the only Jesus that some will ever see. And we've got to be sure we reflect not just a portion of Jesus. We've got to reflect the whole Jesus. And, you know, when when I preach a funeral, I'm very careful to talk about God's love. But I'm also very careful to say this, that Jesus Christ, a commitment to Jesus Christ, is the way to heaven. Not the church, not baptism. And I do that because I want them to understand that we are talking about not that just God is love and God loves you, but that God loves you and has a plan for your life, but involves making a commitment to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so the, the Father reveals to Peter, you know, this, you know your son, this, thy son's the Christ. It's an incredible, incredible truth. And then he moves on from there and says this. I also say to you. Now, this is a scripture that's, that's way too familiar tonight to really appreciate the power of it. But I wish I could let you hear it like the first time tonight. Okay? He continues the conversation now and now talking to Peter and says, I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Let's just pause there. And again, let's go over what we know about the Greek, the little bit of Greek that I know and what we know about this statement. Now, now the word Peter is the word Petros. Petros. And in the Greek, it means a small movable stone. So, so this is the meaning of the name Peter. So in your Peter, and in that meaning of his name, you are this small, movable stone. Now, now I want, as you know, the Catholic Church uses this verse to make sure and understand that, pope, that Peter was the first pope, and that on him and on the succession of popes thereafter, Jesus Christ has built his church. That Jesus Christ built his church on a man. One, that's way far-fetched. Come on, that's way far. Why in the world would Jesus Christ build his church on a man who in just a few hours was going to deny that he even knew him? Why would Jesus Christ build his church on a man that, yes, would preach and thousands would be saved at Pentecost, but later on would play the hypocrite and turn around, and when the Jews were around, he lived like a Jew, and when the Gentiles were around, he lived like the Gentiles. That was Peter after Pentecost. It makes no sense to believe that Jesus is saying, you're Peter and I'm going to build my church on you. It makes no sense. Common sense, logically, but biblically. There's always a reason why certain words are used in the Bible. And when he says you are Peter, you are Petros, you are a small stone, he turns around and uses a different word entirely when he says, and on this rock. I will build my church. The word rock there is Petra. Petra. It means several things. It means a large, unmovable stone. It means a cliff or a rocky crag. So it means something that's massive that cannot be built. Now, that obviously does not describe what he used about Peter. 
Peter was described as a small stone. And Jesus comes along and says, on this huge, massive rock, I am going to build my church. So, the question becomes, what is this huge, massive rock? And they're one and the same, but there are two answers. The first is this, Jesus himself. Amen? Jesus is the rock of ages. All right? I've, I've got my Bible open to, incidentally, Peter. And it says this, verse number 4 of 1 Peter chapter 2, Coming to him, capital H, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up of a, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifice that's acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. So he's talking about Jesus Christ being this massive rock. So Jesus Christ is saying, I'm building my church on what? Me. Come on. On me. I am the rock. But if you want to be a little more... Narrow focused, not narrow minded, but narrow focused, you go one step further. He's saying upon Peter, upon this truth that you have just proclaimed, I am going to build my church. The truth is that I am not an ordinary man. The truth is I am not an ordinary teacher. The truth is, I am not just another prophet in a series passing and parading by. I am different because one, one December, no, well, one December, one night in Bethlehem, I, God, left heaven and strapped on a human body. And I am 100% God and 100% man, and I have come for one specific purpose, that the, that the wrath of my Father may be poured out upon me on an old rugged cross, that people, Peter, like you and like me and like you, can have forgiveness of our sins through the spilt blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Upon that truth, that it is by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not yourselves, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's, I'm telling you, it's upon that truth that we built the church. God's built the church. Amen? Get that. It's not upon Peter. It's upon Jesus and upon the truth of who he is. He is Messiah. He is the living Son of God. And I just feel like I need to pause and say this. Don't push back from that. In this crazy world we're living in, be careful not to push back. Because there's plenty of folks who will call you narrow-minded. There's plenty of people who call you bigot. They'll call you, um, you know, just folks that, that are just, just something, some crazy fanatic. Because we believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Amen? And, and watch this now. This is crucial. Now, this is, this, you're the ones who need to hear this tonight. Because I'm not sure many of those could handle it if they really got what I'm fixing to say. The next five words that he says are hugely important. You're, you're Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. There's several things here. First off, the word church is ecclesia. Ecclesia. It means call out ones. Listen, in America, what we've done is we have associated church with buildings. I go to such and such church. I'm a member of this church. Do you want to come to my church? Okay. That is a misjustice in the use of God's word when we tag that on and say, you know, church. Listen, we are the church. This is a building that we used to worship in on Sunday night. 
That is a building called a multi-ministry building. It is a tool in the hands of God. And it's a shame. I wish we could almost call it something besides church because people associate a building with what Jesus says is called out. And it's not a building. It's us. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. We are the called out ones. Called out from what? Called out from our former lives. Set apart and made holy by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be different in this crazy world because we're called out and experiencers of God's grace. That's who we are. And that's why we've got to live different. That's why we've got to act different. That's why we need to do, know the spiritual climate. So we know how to tell people about the God who has reached down from heaven and applied His grace to our lives. I will build my church. And according to Mr. Dr. Tony Evans, I'm going to reference him a couple times tonight, that, that, there's, that there's a, a uh, what's the word? It's escaping me, not, not policy. But there's, there's a thing in Scripture that, that, where you, that when the first time something is mentioned, it becomes the most important. And this is the first time that church is mentioned in Scripture. So whatever Jesus Christ says about the church here, it gets the most weight, the most attention. And he's saying, guess what? I will build my church. I will build out the called out ones. So Jesus says, whatever you think church is, my definition sticks first. Not me, Jesus. And my definition is, it's a group of people who are called out by my name. Not Baptist. Not Methodist. Not Pentecostal. Not SBC or NBC. It is the church. The called out ones of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice what it says here. I. Jesus speaks. Whatever's going to happen with this church, I'm going to do it. I will. It's not happened yet. He's speaking in the future. The church is born on the day of Pentecost. It's not been born yet. He's looking at Peter saying, listen, Peter, you're a small rock, and I'm going to build my church on this huge stone. And it's not going to happen yet, but it's going to happen not too far down the road. It's going to happen on the day of Pentecost. The church will be birthed. And I'm going to... Build the church. I am the architect of the church. It's going to be designed by me, stone by stone, living stone by living stone. It will be designed by me to be what I want it to be. You know why? Because it's my church. It's my church. Now, we all amen this, but I wonder how much we really believe it. We all amen when the pastor says, and I want you to know, the church isn't my church. And you say, that's right, preacher. Don't you ever forget it either. The church doesn't belong to any pastor. In some denominations, you know, they, they found a church and they, and they kind of own the thing. It's not the pastor's church. But here's the part you really don't get. It's not yours either. I'm all for the autonomy of the church. I'm all for church government. But every time we vote on something, we had better consult God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. Say, hey God, since this thing is yours, what do you want done? It's not what we want. It's what He wants done. Because it's His. He died for it. He, bled. he was nailed on the cross for it. It's my church. And I'm going to build it. That's just cool. What's the question? says? And the gates of hell. New King James is kind of soft and said, 
Hades, the place of the day, I hell. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, now again, as you know, unless you're strong enough to pick up a gate and toss it, a gate is not an offensive weapon. What are gates? They're defensive. Okay? So, so the picture is, is that of a walled city and an enemy, an opposer, trying to get into the city and the gates are broken down, torn down. In this case, it's the gates of hell. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell cannot stand against it. The onslaught of God's power knocks down the gates of hell. In other words, let me get this for let me get it for you. Satan ain't got a chance. The game was over before there was the first snap. The game was over before the first pitch. Game over. Hell cannot prevail against it. But here's the problem. Why do we conduct business like we're on defense and Satan's on the offense? Why do we, Nanette, conduct business? If you listen to the scuttlebutt around the church and it seems like the way we talk, why do we conduct business like Satan is on the offense and we're on the defense trying to, trying to hold him back? That is the exact opposite picture of what Jesus Christ paints. What could be the problem? I have an answer. When the church ceases to be his church and becomes our church, we go on defense real quick. Let me say it again, because I didn't draw one single amen. When we get in our heads that the church, and I know in this case I'm talking about the local church, that Dorisville Baptist Church belongs to us. We call the shots. We do what we want to do. When we move to that location, Satan instantly picks up on it and the gates of hell go on offense and we find ourselves battling back in defense. And that's what's wrong in America. We are doing church our way in America and Satan is having a heyday as he beats on churches and beats on churches and beats on believers and beats on ministries. You want to know why pastors fall so readily? Because we think we own the church. And I'm going to tell you something, when we think we own the church, the power of God comes off and we're left with our own physical resources. And son, let me just tell you something. Satan is a created being, is all he is. But you take away the power from God, from believers, and we are in deep weeds. And the reason America is in deep weeds spiritually today is because church after church, denomination after denomination, we think it's ours and it's not. And we've gone from offense to defense. We gotta get back on, on offense, folks. But you know what that means? That means letting go. That means saying, okay, God, it's what you want. It's what you want, not what we want. In fact, he goes on now and he, get, he talks about keys. Look what he says in verse number 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. What are keys? I know you know what keys are. What do keys represent? Ownership. Who said that? Good, good. How about, can we throw out authority? 
Now, see, for instance, I think I used this illustration before. I can't remember. But this key right here, there's about six of them, I think. This is the master key. Okay? This unlocks any door in the new building. The janitor's closet, every classroom, every outside door, the kitchen, the shower room, this key. The pastoral staff has one. The custodians have one. I think that's just about it, isn't it? Yeah, this is about. If you've got this, it's a sign that you're in a position of authority and right to use. Okay? Now, watch this. Some people say, you hear in the churches, well, why does he have a key to the building and I don't? They're really saying, why does he have authority and I don't? So keys represent authority. Okay? Now, look. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of God. Jesus has said, I'm not going to build my, my church on a little rock. I'm going to build it on a big rock. And the gates of hell, as we go on offense, they're going to go on defense. And they can't stand against it. And I'm going to give you authority to do business. I'm going to give you authority to do business. In fact, he says it this way. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm giving you authority as my representatives on earth. The church, you are plan A. You are God's representatives on earth. I'm giving you authority to do kingdom work. You've got the keys. What are we going to do with them? What are we going to do with them? Listen, listen. check this out. When you pray, say this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is praying what he said in Matthew chapter 16. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. You're getting God's... Listen, the church is getting God's work done on earth. That's it. Our will is not even supposed to be in the picture. It's not what we want. It's His will being done. And we push back from that. I... I give my money, pastor, to this church. Whose money? Last time I checked, sir, ma'am, you're a zero. You've got nothing. Because without Jesus, you are nothing. Every dollar you bring home is by the grace of God. Every title you have is by the intelligence that God gave you. Everything you do is by the power of God as a believer in Jesus Christ working in you. You've got nothing. You give to the church. You're just giving what belongs to God. We're grateful that you do. Because it funds the ministries. But you know what I'm figuring out? God's got another way. If we don't give, He'll find another way. He may find another church. He'll say, oh, well, well you know, if, if we don't want to fund back school ministry... We, there, you know, that's not, a, that's not patented. We can find another church. I, I find another church to do that school ministry. I bet First Baptist would like to pick it up. Maybe Bankston Ford would like to pick it up. Perhaps McKinley would like to pick it up. Maybe Little Chapel. We'll go outside the SBC. It's his church. It's his church. It's his plan. But he gives us authority. But now listen to this. With authority comes allegiance. He gives us authority because He trusts us with this. 
But in order to be trusted, in order to have the keys, then our allegiance has to belong to who? Him. Say Him. Say God. Our allegiance has to belong to Him. When we cease having our allegiance to Him, so goes the authority. And without the authority, we don't have the power. And without the power, we go on defense instead of offense. Dr. Evans, and I, would challenge, I don't know where you find this message at. I've got it on CD at home. Preached a message, and I've heard this before, Dave, uh, from somewhere else. But he talks about football. He says on every fall afternoon, on Sunday afternoon, that there is a gathering of people in a stadium, and there are three teams. There's the home team, there is the visiting team, and then there are the referees. And the referees are not to be for the home team, and they're not to be for the Visiting team. They work for a higher power. There's a guy in a suite called the commissioner of the National Football League that they work for. And their allegiance belongs to him. They are not to shift allegiance and say, well, I like this particular team, or I like that particular team, or, 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 you know it's just not popular to make bad calls. Unpopular calls. Because then the friends of the teams holler at you. So I'll do the easy thing. And I'll, if, I'm, if, if, if the home team's got the ball and we're playing home, I want all the friends to like me, so we'll favor that team. What happens to a referee who does that? He gets a call from the commissioner of the National Football League, and he says, you're fired. Because, see, you don't operate under your rules... You don't operate under your own authority. I give you authority, and you go by a certain rule book. You don't bend it to favor the home team. Your loyalty cannot belong to this team. Your loyalty cannot belong to that team. Read, and he did that night. Your loyalty can't belong to a pastor. Your loyalty can't belong to a political party. Your loyalty can't belong to a certain group of social friends that if you do something, you might offend them. Your loyalty must belong to the great commissioner, the Lord Jesus Christ, and none other. Or we lose the authority. And when we lose the authority, we go on defense. And Satan has a heyday. And it's happening in church after church after church after church after church after church. Oh, listen. They pack them in by the thousands. We've got some of the best music right here in southern Illinois. And you know, you want to have a big crowd? Have a southern gospel concert. They may have the flu or terminal leukemia, but they'll go. The problem's not getting the crowd. You can get a crowd. The problem is make sure when you got the crowd that you recognize it's God's. It's God's gig. It's God's thing. If it's church, it's God's church. And what He wants, it's got to be. I asked you a question this morning in the introduction. I kind of asked God, actually. I said, okay, God, what's next? What's next? Here's why I'm absolutely certain. That whatever is next for Dorsville, it's got to be God. Whatever is next for Dorisville has got to be God. There are some areas I'm convinced 
We won't go into what they are, but there's some areas we've got to get our hands off of. There's some loyalties that we've got placed where we've got to let them go. And we've got to say, there's one commissioner, and his name is God the Father. And we go by one rule book, and it is the Word of God. I will not favor this team. I will not favor that team. I will not be afraid of the fans, the friends of the teams in the stand who may holler at me. We must obey God. Because it's His church. And He built it. And He wants to do great things. And He, the crazy part, He's invited us in on this wonderful journey. He's even given us keys. He's even given us authority. When, when the president appoints an ambassador, the ambassador is that country's representative in another land. We are ambassadors of Christ. Is that not scriptural? And we're in a foreign land. What's the foreign land? This world. And we are to represent the government. Not my personal views. Not how I feel on a certain day, but we are to represent the government of God in this world. And when we do that, whew, a couple of things are going to happen. I honestly believe if we could somehow figure out how to do this as a nation, as, as, as a group of believers in Jesus Christ in this nation, we could still have revival. We, 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 God could still, we could still be used of God to turn the ship around. And I believe churches that have long been dead could pick up dry bones with flesh and God could breathe on them and there'd be new life. You believe that tonight? I believe America could be turned around. I believe there's a chance for revival. I believe churches that have long been dead, denominations that have long been dead, could have new life breathed into them. But we've got to understand a few things. We've got to understand really who Jesus is. We've got to understand the spiritual climate to which we're called to work. We've got to understand that it's His church. It's not ours. We've got to understand something. We've got authority. We've got to quit hanging our head. We've got to quit. I've got a couple of chihuahuas living on my property that belong to my daughter. And this, this little chihuahua dog is about that long and about that tall, weighs about four pounds. And, and he just, you know, he's just as feisty. I mean, you know, he'll see a big old dog and, yeah, 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 yeah. And you can turn around and go, Bubba, be quiet. Cowers down, puts his tail between his legs like that and cowers down. He sounds tough. But as soon as the heat comes on from Paul, Paul, he falls apart. we got to understand what authority we got. we got to quit putting our tail between our legs and realize that we work for the commissioner. And anything less, anything less, simply won't do. Amen? Amen. Let's be the church. Let's bow our heads. Well, thank you, Father, for the privilege of sharing once again your word tonight. How incredible it is. How incredible it is that you entrusted, Jesus, this whole thing to 11 guys. Ordinary men. And then 21 centuries later, the church is still being built. Father, help us. Help Brent. Help Dave. Help me. Help the deacons. Help the trustees. Help the finance committee. The nominating committee. The missions committee. 
Help us to get it right, Father. Help us to understand it is your church. Help us to get on our face before you and find out what you want to do. And then even if it leads straight into warfare with Satan, let us go forth in a charge. Help us move from defense to offense. And let us cheer, Father, as the gates of hell fall. And Jesus, I want to pray this in your strong, strong name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Just bow your head right there. Letting go is a hard thing. Just bow your heads. Letting go is a hard thing. Letting go of control is a real hard thing. We pastors like to control certain programs and things. And taking our hands off is hard. And it's hard for membership, too. I know it is. You know, we've seen a lot of changes in the last 11 years, and you saw changes before I got here. Change is hard. But boy, if we can just get a hold of God and know we're doing what He wants us to do, how powerful is that? And it's going to be an individual decision for all of us. It always has been. I mean, it's not like this is radical new information. It's, it's really an individual decision. It's almost like a room full of 400 people and one person stands up and says, I'll let go. And another stands up and says, I'll let go. And another stands up and says, I'll let go. And some will never let go. But God doesn't concern Himself with the ones who won't let go. The pastors who won't let go. He concerns Himself with the ones who will. Would you pray about that this week? Would you say, okay, God, we learned this morning that we really need to better understand Your Word. We need to get into it and let it apply and work in our lives. And that's what's going to change us. And then, Father, as we're changed and equipped, would you help us let go and do what you want us to do? Do what you want us to do.